Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is brought to you by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Acrylics, Williamsburg Oils, and Core Watercolors are all made in upstate New York. Golden is committed to quality and stewardship in the community and is an employee-owned company. It's the only paint I use. Find out more at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also brought to you by Tobo Designs. The official podcast equipment bag supplier for Sound and Vision, Tobo makes sturdy bags and clothing that look great and perform the same. You can check them out at tobodesigns.com. This episode of Sound and Vision features a live podcast recorded on the occasion of Los Angeles-based artist Matthew Craven's book release at the New York Art Book Fair. On September 21st, I had a conversation with Matthew at MoMA PS1 to discuss his new book, Primer, which was published by Anthology Editions. Matthew was born in Michigan. He earned a BFA from the Michigan State University, and he received an MFA from the School of Visual Arts in New York. He's exhibited widely in the United States and abroad, including solo and two-person exhibitions at David Shelton Gallery in Houston, DCKT Contemporary in New York, Gallery Hijinks in San Francisco, Packing in Detroit, 101 Exhibit in Los Angeles, Isaac Geisberg Gallery in New York, and many more. He has a current solo show up with Asia Geisberg Gallery, and it's up through October 20th, and he'll have a Los Angeles book launch for his book Primer at Big Picture Los Angeles on October 19th. Here's Matthew and I talking at PS1 about his work and his new book Primer. How you doing? I'm good, Brian. How are you? <laughs> good. So congratulations on the book. Thank you. Um... I got my copy the other day, and it looks really good. And um, the first question I wanted to ask you was, how long did this take to produce? Like, when did you first come up with the idea of it, and how long did it take you to, you know, make it happen? Yeah. Um, I guess the backstory I would have to say, started with uh, maybe 2013. I did an album cover for a friend of mine, Brian Leeds. He performs under Work OS, and he put out a record on Software Records, which was kind of under Mexican Summer. What kind um, of music? Uh, how would he describe it? Uh, kind of ambient techno, uh, experimental electronic. It was under one of Tricks Point Never's uh-huh. software distribution, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the first time I met, and I was working with a guy named Matt Worth on that project. And we put out a beautiful LP, like it was a fold out with like my art all over the front and back and um, just a beautiful, beautiful object. So that was probably 2012 or 2013, I guess. And then a few years later, I was contacted to do uh, the art direction for the Marfa Myths Festival Mm -hmm. um, that Mexican Summer does down in Marfa, Texas. And that was just another great collaborative project where I sent them a bunch of images. They kind of played around with them, did a bunch of cool stuff, made posters for the festival, zines, uh, T-shirts, tote bags, and stuff like that. And I was just thrilled to 
work with them again, like they always produce such beautiful objects. I feel like it's just like always object driven. And uh, to be honest, I don't know the actual total connection of the company, but then again, I was approached by an Anthology Editions yeah. um, to do a book, but it's kind of the same people I've known since 2012, and this is kind of the third project we've we've done together. Right. And uh, everything that's come out of it is just such a beautiful object. Like, you just feel like they're in the business of making objects, like art pieces, objects, things to live with, and so it was kind of a no-brainer. We had a previous relationship, and this was kind of, for me personally, a, a dream project. As much yeah. as doing record covers and t-shirts and tote bags, like, was very cool to do. Like, to turn my art back into a book was a dream project I've had, you know, for years. And Yeah, and it, it ties into your work because it's so tactile. So yeah. it seems like the making of your work is really about finding objects. You're going through books all the time, right? Yes, yeah. So that's having a, you know, a thing you can hold that's showing all these images, I would imagine, is really nice to have. You know, yeah, and I had, I had moved to L.A. two years ago, so to this was another project where I would come back occasionally to meet with them and mm -hmm. go through it, but it ties full circle. Almost, I don't know, I would say 70% of the images in this book, Primer, like our books I found at Strand, Oh, really? Like here in New York. So yeah. again, there's like another connection to like when I look at a lot of the pieces in the book, I remember sitting on the floor in Strand just going through books. But I would spend all day there, like right. climbing the ladders because the bigger books are up top, you know, yeah, grabbing things, pulling it down, rifling through them, just looking for anything that spoke to me. And like that's that is where everything starts. The pattern work, the collage work, it all starts with just finding an image and not even knowing what, sometimes knowing exactly what I want to do with it, sometimes just being like, this is something I'm going to keep and it'll make sense at a time when it's right. So, The bookstore is kind of like your blick, right? Absolutely, yes. I got where it. you get your supplies yeah. and how it happens. I got really... I mean, no offense to any other artists that use it, but I got really turned off by the idea of going to an art supply store, <laughs> yeah. buying canvas, right. buying gesso, buying a $40 tube of paints. Like, I originally came to New York to do my MFA, and I thought I was a painter at that time. Yeah. Like, you know, I quickly realized I wasn't. But uh, I'm more of a collector, and the beauty part of like what my work has become since then is it's cheap yeah. like old books are cheap i'm using old textbooks that schools used to use yeah um libraries are selling these books schools are getting rid of these books i was gonna say you probably get a lot free i get a lot free i get you know 99 cents a book you know right. and there's a treasure trove in each book of just like images that i use and Later down the road, I realized I could also do that for the the paper that I would collage and draw onto. Like now, I use the backsides of old movie posters, like through a guy I met on eBay who has a barn upstate full of like old posters of movies you've never heard of that have no value. Right. And again, I buy these pieces of paper, sixty by forty pieces of paper, and he sells them to me for a couple bucks a piece. So like it. 
at one point cutting up a beautiful book like was heartbreaking yeah but i learned to find the books that weren't being used the books that were going to be disposed of or schools were never going to use them again and finding old paper that was never going to be used again and to not have to rely on a dick blick or an art supply store like i don't need them to make my work right you know? that was a big revelation in my creative process and just like knew I found something that I wanted to keep exploring. Yeah. One of the interesting things I read about your process is that um, you enjoy the art of collecting, mm-hmm. so gathering these things, and you do that with records, right? I collect records, rocks, <laughs> any, anything. I mean, moving is a quarter, a collector's best thing. So like, yeah. moving to New York, Purging. I had to get rid of so much right. stuff. I was here for eight years and I just left and I got rid of everything again. But sitting in a bookstore looking for old books spoke spoke to me in a way. Picking up art material off a shelf never never could speak to me. Yeah. You know. Well, the reason records was really interesting because in looking at your work and thinking about the context of like what you're doing physically to make it mm-hmm. is very much to me. It just brought up the idea of sampling. Yeah. So you're finding like you're digging through crates, finding old beats, and yep. basically putting these things together. And the music comes from different areas of the world, yep. different lineages, different time periods, and you're kind of mashing those together. That's a, that's a perfect way to describe it. Like, and the same thing as a crate digger finds some old obscure record and gets excited. The same way when I find a, an old book from the 1960s about, you know, Etruscan sculptures. I'm just right. like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, yeah, opens up a whole new world every time. And the, the element of surprise, I think, keeps me sane. It's easy to have a studio practice where you just lock yourself into a studio. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, being in my Brooklyn studio when it's freezing and the heat doesn't work. You know, being yeah. there in the summer when it's so hot and I wish I was at the beach. But you kind of have to stay there. And having some element of my work involved me exploring the actual world, leaving the studio, allowing chance and a random factor into the work, again, was how I knew I was finding the art form I was supposed to, yeah. to work in. Well, that's really interesting, the idea of chance when it comes to collage, which is, you know, like going all the way back to Schwitter's to, you know, through the history of collage mm-hmm. and thinking about the context of chance and then the the sort of curating that you're doing. And looking at this book, it's a very specific, I mean, it's not specific to a certain place, but it feels specific to like those textbooks or, you know, something mm-hmm. like historical, anthropological, something dealing with the history of images. And that's kind of like a very specific, you know, lane when it comes to imagery. How did you gravitate towards that it's kind of like if you go into a record store and you're just going to look through funk records to make your music yeah. as opposed to you know Bach or Stravinsky or something yeah. so how did you find that lane and why does that iconography speak to you yeah again it's, the more I can leave like some element of chance in my process the better so 2009 or 2008 I moved to New York and like I said I thought I was going to come to New York and be a painter and and I met a bunch of people who actually like liked painting and knew about painting and lived and breathed painting and I was like well I'm not that like that doesn't that's not who I am and 
So I kind of just went back to working, just making drawings at that point in school. I didn't really know what I was doing. And a classmate of mine gave me a bunch of frames mm -hmm. just like to put my drawings in. And they were a bunch of uh, old uh, American West images. And I was still in a place where grad school can put you where you don't, you're questioning what you're doing, why you came here, all these things. And uh, I just took the work out of the frames and started drawing on top of them and like hung them on the wall and then like a professor would come by and be like what is this and I, at the time I didn't know like I didn't know what it was it didn't feel like my work um, and I just kept exploring that I went to Strand again for the first time for a creative outlet mm -hmm. went down there started going through um, these old American West textbooks kind of put together a small body of work and while I was in grad school during an open studio a gallery came by and gave me a solo show in their back room like that a month later yeah. and at the time I still was confused if this was my work or not yeah. like it still just it didn't feel like I did it I hadn't come to terms with the idea of using found images even at that point um, but it happened so naturally. Right. And that's kind of what I've let happen from that point, you know, in 2008, is just let it happen. Like, especially living in New York, I would walk by, and on the street there'd be a box of books on it. And they typically wouldn't have images I would use, but I would take the books out and I would cut out the first and the back page because it'd be a, typically a blank old right. piece of paper and that would be what I would use to collage onto. Yeah. So the more things like that where I was just letting things in my regular life affect my art mm -hmm. was how it actually turned into a process I felt was mine. You know? Yeah. Well, I feel like in the development of like younger artists, authorship is something that you always struggle with, you know, because yep. I think you wear your influences early on more so than later. Yeah. And if your work is based in found imagery and collage images, I'm sure that's even more weighs heavily. Okay, well, is this my work in a sense? Even though, like, just as, you know, people use someone like Girl Talk, who basically mashes together, like, hip-hop beats and, and pop songs, and he's not actually making any of that music. He's just collaging it together. Yeah. But there is an authorship to it. It's the way that you're combining those things. But I imagine doing it for a while also, just like anyone who's working in their studio after you know, you know, 10,000 hours or whatever, mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time, you just feel like, okay, this is my language, and you can start playing with nuances yep. you know, within that. And that was the exciting thing about making that transition from trying to be a painter to the world of collage. Like The history of collage is so much smaller. It's such yeah. a shorter period of time, especially in, once you get into like contemporary art and stuff like that, and I felt like it was a, there was room to explore in that genre, whereas I personally didn't feel like I had anything to say in the genre of painting. Like yeah. I would look at a blank canvas and go, what am I going to turn that into that hasn't been done before? Right. And it's not that there isn't a lot of people working with collage and a lot of people working with collage and art history and stuff like that, yeah. but I feel like it will be mine because my work will be mine because everything I use, I found in some way. I literally found it. Like, yeah. I found it in a bookstore. I found it on the streets. Like, that's why very early on I decided, I think I made a few pieces in grad school where I sourced some images off 
the internet and printed it out and just quickly realized that doesn't work. Like that is antithetical to the whole process, you know, like it felt cheap and I mean- A shortcut or yeah. something. And you know, other people do make a digital collage and they make it their own. But again, I was looking for my path as an artist. And yeah. I think that the fact that everything I use, I found, I stumbled across in real life yeah. will keep my work original. And most importantly, it feels authentic to and your now, process, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because out from the outside, we don't necessarily know that, you know what I mean? Yes, but yeah. you one in an altruistic way, you hope that that's in the work and yeah. people feel it, you know? And I feel like the book, they did such a good job. We had to source like really good. There were a lot of images that like, just couldn't dig back and find the a real good high res version of it yeah. and stuff like that. But there's a layer to my work that if you see it on Instagram, it looks nice. Yeah. But if you see it in person, it looks like someone made it with their hands. Right. Like you can see the drawings are scratched in there, kind of jagged. Like it's, you can see that I cut out all these shapes with an exacto knife and found an old piece of paper to put it on top of it. And, um, just quickly to get back to the book, like it felt like we were able to translate that. Like you can still feel the handmade elements of the work that right. normally you can only get standing in front of the work. Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting that happens in a book that's different than seeing the work in the show is the scale shift. Mm -hmm. Because you have a consistent scale throughout that whole book. So the work is jumping and you're playing with sort of smaller printed pages, cut out pages, you know, how did, how did you approach it? Did you kind of just improvise in setting up those images? Were you conscious of those scale shifts and how it was going to read in a similar size format for every page? I mean, that's something that I have to give all the credit to Anthology. Mm -hmm. Like, um, the, the starting point was just sourcing as much as I could. Uh, we stuck to the last about six years, I guess. There was a time period where I was working strictly in American history. Yeah. And then... I switched over kind of this world history, which was more of what I was interested in exploring. So we kind of went back through all, all the work we could find. So it's everything from small work to large scale pieces and just compiled everything. And we kind of categorized things in the beginning just for our own like sanity to try to figure it out. And we knew we would figure out the layout later, but by just getting as much work as we could we had so much to work with, so much scale shifts. Um, going back and finding the the really good images, the real high-res things that allowed us to zoom yeah. in really close. So a lot of the pages in the book are actually just small cutouts of much larger pieces. Right. But uh, we wanted the whole idea was to make this thing visually compelling and visually interesting. And working with them, I we find like it all it was about a year and a half process from yeah. the very first meeting to the book coming out but it was just a lot of exploration creativity and uh them trusting me and me trusting them and i think because we had the history of working together even though i worked with new people on this project i think there was so much trust going in that i wanted them I wanted them to take the work and turn it into something different and then I would respond to that and we would play off that and we really did try to make this not a book that just documented finished work mm -hmm. and a lot of it was just by shifting scales and trying different things out and 
me not coming from a publishing background and like never done anything before like they did all the hard work as far as i'm concerned yeah, yeah. yeah well it reminds me of it's like your your show that you had in in the city is kind of like your live show and yeah. then this is kind of your record and you have to work with producers to kind of yep it's a different format yep. you know unless you're an expert at like pushing knobs and mastering and all that stuff you kind yeah. of lean on that but one thing that happens when you take let's say a live group of songs and then translate it to a record is after you hear the record you think a little differently about your music in a way or it can inform the process of it so do you feel like after doing this it's given you some ideas for future things or you know what I mean did it give you back anything as far as seeing the work in such a different format uh, yeah um, a million different ideas have like come from this like it, it really let me it did two things. It allowed me to kind of finish up like a kind of a era of work. I felt like this is a perfect kind of like time stamp of this period of my work. Yeah. It's pushed me to want to do other things in the future because I feel like this is archived so perfectly. This is your hour special. Now you got to get some new material. And now I have to get. Now I have to. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be a hack if I keep doing the same. <laughs> right. The same stuff. Can't so. tell the same jokes for like three years. Yeah, you got exactly. So this was. It kind of was perfect timing. Yeah. So it allowed me to kind of stop that, but also we can get in our heads, you know, as artists, like yeah. so easily, and just the simple fact of having someone take your work and manipulate it. And, was a fantastic experience for me. Like I, I felt like the work was done, and what else? What else could this work be? Right. And that was why, like, was perfect timing in my life and practice to kind of close the chapter, I guess. Yeah. A literary pun, but yeah. What's the? Um, I'm interested too in the speed of your your work. Are you working on a lot of different like the images in this? over that span of time, are you working on a lot of different images at once or do you kind of move through an image and then that influences the next one? Like, what's the working process like? I mean, ideally, I, I've tried a lot in my life uh, and I know a lot of artists I've heard you talk to who either kind of work one at a time or multiples at yeah. a time. And in theory, I would love to like work on a bunch of different things mm -hmm. at once and like, but that's not how I work. Like, I've done this long enough that I really am pretty singular focused in a process so I, I basically work through pieces one at a time um, and typically I hope that uh, during the process of making a piece whether it's a little thing I actually did on that piece or just the time I had in my head while I was finishing it I'm ready for the next one or sometimes it's like I've I know what the next five will be right. you know but but I'll have to finish that one before I can start the next one. Yeah. It's just kind of how I've come to realize is how I, how I work. Well, I imagine it's influenced too on the stuff that you're, you're getting your materials. Yes. Like what you're finding. Yeah. And that's, like I said, that's always the thing that can throw a wrench in any yeah. well-made plan is right. like just finding a book, right. finding a singular image, like, and that can be like, well, I was going to do this, this, and this, but I found this, so now I'm doing... I'm going to work with that, you know, or yeah. some, something as simple as a symbol or a pattern or an actual collage element. Like, it can, that, that's what can, keeps things fresh for me. Yeah. Um, well, speaking to that, the drawn elements of the work, 
Is that dire always directly referencing things that you're looking at from, from found materials, or, or is that some invention of your own or hybrid, or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I go back to drawing as that's where, that's where everything comes from for me. Like, long before I had even taken an art class um, or went to art school or anything like that, I was the kid who was always drawing. Like, Most of know, us, yeah. Comic books <laughs> draw. was you know, basketball players. Like, yeah. that's how I learned how to draw, like, the figure. It wasn't through taking an art class in, like, high school. It was, you know, or even middle school. It was, like, drawing comic books and basketball players and things yeah. like that. So that's always been just easy for me. If nothing else, like, that's been easy. I've always been, you put a, whereas I say I got stage fright in front of a white canvas because I knew it cost money. Yeah and the gesso and all the paint gives me like anxiety a blank piece of paper has always been oh i know exactly what to do yeah. you know there's been a certain just kind of autopilot when it comes to like just putting pen or uh, pencil to paper like there's no there's no risk there yeah so it really has been an evolution of like turning doodling i would say for yeah. 20 years into what i do now for the last you know 12 years as professional artist but uh that to me it's my home like i love i love the collage elements i love finding stuff but drawing is always going to be like why i became an artist you know yeah um and so it's a little bit of everything i've definitely look at old books full of tapestries i look at like the bottoms of sculptures where there's like engravings and things like that and in the beginning when i first was really trying to find some sort of universal truths in art like that's what really stuck out to me in the beginning was that i started seeing these very simple patterns and shapes being used by different civilizations different artists uh, whether it was woven or carved and I try, and that's an element of like when you see the drawing, and the book does a good job of showing it. You, when you see my drawings, you can see they're scratched in there. Like, yeah. I'm not even trying to make a perfect line ever, right. you know. When I'm filling in a shape or a color, I'm really kind of grinding it in there. Like, and to me, it's just, it's, that's my version of weaving, that's my version of sculpting. Like, so it all comes from something that I found. Yeah, but I've also been doing it for so long that there's a lot of in intuition, you know. Right. Much like in placing things in a collage, the intuition in the the drawing work is my ten thousand hours yeah. of pen to paper, like, and just trusting myself. You know, there's a lot of symmetry in my work, and it's just laying, starting somewhere, building something up putting on the other side, building up, going back and forth, and just trusting myself. That's, that's why I don't use pencil. It's why I go write ink onto paper. Mm -hmm. I don't want to second-guess myself. That's yeah. what I love about drawing, opposed to like when I was painting and I would mess up, I would try to paint over it, and then you work yourself into a place where you're second-guessing yourself. And yeah. That's why I love ink on paper. Like You just... Once it's there, it's there. Right. And you'll also see in a lot of my work, like, I do mess up. Like, I'll try to fix little things. Like, sometimes people will notice 
Right. That's like, oh, there is something weird about this, or this was supposed to be symmetrical, and except for what happened there, but again, like the handmade quality of the work. Say, it's is, all about the hand, right? Yeah. I mean, the most interesting tapestries you'll ever see are the ones that don't make sense. Yeah. You know, like, so honestly, when I do make mistakes, like, I'm actually kind of excited. Yeah. I think it adds like something to the piece. Right. Whereas if I tried to make a mistake to like disrupt it, again, like that's not how I work. Right. Like it's forced. Yeah. Um, I was reading too that you mentioned that it's not psychological or um, a psychedelic at all. You know, because this combination of images. But it's funny because I was looking at one of your images and I thought of a Black Dice record cover. Okay. Loosely, but thinking about <laughs> yeah, thinking about that kind of aesthetic, yeah. and then it. it made me wonder since your your work is so much about like finding the specific source material and working within that um are you obviously you're looking at people but are there people that really resonate with you as far as like influences or people that you feel like your work resonates with visually or is it kind of you're just doing your thing i'd like to think it's really doing my thing for the most part um there were certain like things like right in the beginning just because the first time I started using found objects or found images like I mean one of my favorite artists ever is Ray Johnson. Yeah. Now I don't work in a way like him whatsoever, right. but like that was something at the time when I was putting my toe into like found images in my art, like that was someone like I was looking at and yeah. taking little things from at the time, but and people's work, like Bjorn Copeland's work, like yeah. his old collage and stuff like that, were definitely things that were in the atmosphere like right. around this time. And I would look at that. But um, Yeah, was that, I mean, was the force field stuff kind of a little before your, or was that happening whenever you were in school? Um, I was definitely aware of that kind of stuff. I was still living in Detroit at the time yeah. when that kind of was happening. But I definitely... That was an era of a lot of creative things that were happening, at least in America, that kind of made art seem uh, more real to me. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing the force field stuff, the paper rad stuff, yeah. all the mission school stuff coming out of the San Francisco, and just being, like, in Michigan and, like, thinking, like, wow, this is some really exciting stuff, like, right. happening out there. Like, it's like a moment or, a, like, an energy to a specific Yeah, group. and as much as I didn't... I didn't feel connected to those things like that was one of the first time where I saw people who kind of like looked like me and were like my age and like mm -hmm. were into music like were like making art and getting it shown in galleries and a lot of the stuff like that is what gave me actually like confidence to be like maybe I'll move to New York and like really try to do this you know right. yeah and I was wondering sonically too what your interests are or like what you feel like I mean, what are you listening to in the studio, or what do you feel like your work sounds like? Yeah. Uh, in the studio, I mean, it changes. It's probably either hip-hop or ambient music. Yeah. Like, um, kind of nothing in between. Like, in undergrad, like, I was an indie rock DJ at the Michigan State, like, record uh, or the radio station and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so I've been through many phases of things like that, but... At this point, I don't think I've listened to a rock and roll record in 10 years. Right. <laughs> like, but I think there's something to be said about what you said earlier about the, the idea of sampling and sound and collecting sounds like that because I feel like a lot of the stuff I do listen to 
like this ambient electronic kind of sampling stuff that can really just kind of let me zone out and work. Yeah. And then like when I feel like I'm going to fall asleep, I can put on like a hip hop record and things yeah. like that. And yeah. Well, it's funny because looking at your work, the way you make it and the way you talk about tactility, mm-hmm. you just seem like you would be a vinyl guy. Yeah. Because yeah. there's something about, I mean, growing up as a kid, you know, I skateboarded. A lot of the artists I talked to and know were in skateboarding culture or had some sort of like interest in something creative where there's a lot of ephemera, like posters or stickers or pins. And yep. those things were important. I was like, you know, you would get excited about that stuff and yeah. it kind of pushed you to want to be creative in yeah. that way. And when I moved to New York in 2008, like I was like, I can't bring 2,000 CDs that I had at the yeah, time. Yeah. And I got rid of all of them. Right. But at that point, I had started collecting vinyl. And I was like, this is where my obsessive collecting... In New York? In New York? <laughs> no, when I was still in, in Michigan. Oh, okay. I had started to actually... And that was what was speaking to me, that the yeah. tangible objects right. was what I was connected to. There was, you know, once MP3s came out, you look at a CD and you're like, well, what is this even? Right. You know, like, you know, and you put it on your computer and it goes in a storage box and... I felt no connection to it, but vinyl has the crackle. Vinyl has the the tangibility to hold it, you know, right. and that's why this book like feels like that for yeah. me, you know. And there's artwork there, stuff yep. to look at, yep. you know. Yeah, I had to dump my vinyl collection when I moved to New York just because <laughs> the, the space it takes yeah. up, you know. But yep. it is such a nice artifact. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess you know the book is doing that, you know. Mm-hmm. So what do you, as far as? Um, you know, I was thinking about the physicality in the work versus the flatness of the page. Yep. Was doing the the cutouts and that was that kind of the angle on varying the paper types and trying to bring physicality to it because you do lose, of course, anytime it's reproduced, you lose that. Yeah. And that's with everyone, with painter, sculptor. You know, anytime you reproduce it, there's a little bit of that tactility loss. So how did you um, address that in the book? Um, I mean, the cover does it in a way you know yeah I mean that was just the beauty of this like treating this book as a collaboration not a documentation of my work like that didn't interest me I wanted to work with other people I wanted other ideas you know there were times where we were meeting in the office and like it's kind of like show me what you guys have done like they would show me other projects they have done I mean Anthology has really put out a series of beautiful books on all kinds of things from skateboarding to music to UFOs to filmmakers like that's what they do is they document you know and they had been doing it and they were able to show me a lot of like little ideas and what things spoke to me and like having like the little zine cutouts having the fold outs were all like oh we can do that like I was more excited than anyone like I knew we were going to make something interesting but I kind of went into the project not not knowing we were going to be able to explore and be that creative with it and little things like this book means a lot to me uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, the first like contemporary art book I ever bought was Trenton Doyle Hancock's Mia Mound, uh-huh. which like blew my mind. Yeah. The first time I saw it, another person that I saw this was like, what is this? Who is this? Who is this person making this art? But yeah. uh, that was one of the books that I had them buy. I was like as a reference point and just like the front cover of his book has like a die cut cut out right. that like shows through it and like I think just again it was just a collaboration with the publisher and myself of just like what can we do with this book what can we do to not make it so 
super flat the whole way through. Yeah. What can we? We wanted it to be a visual like exploration as a page turner mm -hmm. to just go through and explore the world through my work and um, any little bit that could just kind of make you go, oh, what's this? You know, right. like I feel that can like slow you down. Like maybe in a way they're like speed bumps. You yeah. know, like all of a sudden there's a die cut cutout. Like all of a sudden it folds out into a four panel piece. You know, like again that adds to. Hopefully, like you feeling like you're exploring my work, the world, history, like of humanity, like you know, like all those little things help. I think the vibe we were going for. Which yeah, is book. you know, I haven't had the book that long, but I've had it in my living room and just been picking it up here and there. And I, one thing that's really cool about it is, I feel like I can just open it, look yep. around a little bit, close it. Yeah. I've been doing that coming in and out of it. It's not the front, the back necessarily. Yep. You can just kind of dive in and it kind of feels different each time you navigate it that way. And that was all on purpose. It, again, like what we knew from day one was that we didn't want a catalog. Yeah. We didn't want a glorified catalog of work. We wanted, again, that's why we kind of collected everything, shuffled the deck, saw what we had, rearranged again, shuffled mm -hmm. it maybe again, rearranged again. And that's why there's, you don't, that, that allows you to kind of open up at any point and be like, what is this? What am I looking at? Like, what's the page before? What's the page after? Sometimes there's a relationship, sometimes there's not. Like, just adding to the fact that this, the whole idea of this book was visual. Yeah. That's why there's no text. That's why there's no book pages. Like, that was what I wanted to make my first book be. There is a foreword, though. There is a foreword, yeah. <laughs> There's a little little bit of information, yes. Yeah. Did you want to talk about that, the uh, foreword at all? I mean, it was just another thing where life led me to Los Angeles two years ago. Um, I was doing the L.A. art fair with my New York gallery, Isaac Geisberg, and just standing in the booth, and all of a sudden I met the curator of drawings and prints at LACMA Museum, and... I was like, oh, I've only lived in L.A. a month. And all of a sudden, like, I'm meeting this person. And she was just so easy to talk to and friendly. And so I had her up to my studio. And we talked a little bit about the work. And she helped, uh, helped with uh, uh, LACMA acquiring one of the pieces that I was showing at the fair. And it just was a very natural relationship we developed. So probably within a few months after meeting her, we started doing the talks about doing the books. And... It was like the perfect person. Like, um, so I went and like we sat down and had lunch and just talked about my work and my process. And she wrote a really beautiful forward to the book, and yeah. I couldn't be happier. I knew we had to have something in there. Right. Like probably in the beginning, I was like, let's not have any text and no yeah. information. Just pictures. <laughs> let's make it as yeah ambiguous as possible. But uh, we also wanted to. There, another element of the book that was kind of important was I was showing them a lot of the textbooks that I actually use, yeah. that I actually collage out of. Like, a lot of them are this exact same scale, this exact same size, even down to like the font we decided on is like a very common font from a lot of like um, European and like I think we I think it might even be specifically from a Met uh, oh, yeah. Greek objects book that I had found along the way. Where I was like, this is the font we should use and. Um, the way we laid it out, just having, when you first open the book, have it represent almost exactly like the material I'm starting with. Yeah. And then 
that seemed like the perfect place to have a forward and have a little bit of a dialogue of, so you know what you're going through. Yeah. Um, it is important for me. One of the only things that is important for me, like when I discuss my work, is that people realize like that this is just analog. Like this is handmade everything. Like I'm not reproducing anything. If you see two of the same image, that means I found two of the same book. If you see 10 of the same image, that means I have 10 of the same book. Right. You know, I really wanted those aspects that typically you have to see the work in person to kind of be like, oh, okay, this isn't digital, this wasn't silk screen, this wasn't printed um, on a computer or a printer or anything like that. So it was important to have a little bit of that backstory. And I think Leslie wrote a beautiful forward for the book. Yeah. It's funny because the it's analog and it, you know, it has this real handmade, the imagery is of a certain feeling of time, right? Yep, yep. But the one thing it has in common, I think, with digital culture, the work, is that the, the, the sort of, I don't know if it's an absence of linearity, but it kind of sample, like it's like sampling from different eras and just mashing them together, yep. which feels very akin to how we find information on the computer because you could just open windows. Yep. I have my window that has Greek history and then, you know, Mesopotamia and, you know, Far East or all these different areas simultaneously. How... Do you think about time in the work as far as the iconography of it and how they're coming together? I mean, everything is project by project. I have made specific pieces that kind of like lay out where even though I don't put it in the work, it's kind of like an unofficial timeline of objects and stuff like that Mm -hmm. to pieces that are purely put together based on like formal qualities of the work or sometimes purely based on like structural or purely based on color. So I do work in many different like starting points and just kind of conceptually of where I want something to start with. But again, at the end of the day, like randomness is way more important. Like randomness is the most important like part of my creative process. So it's kind of, kind of letting that happen. And like I say, when I go and I look for materials, I'm also like finding this book over here and this book over here and this book over here from different places and different times and different cultures. And by the time I get it home, it's already been scrambled, you yeah. know. So just trying to, again, that's a part of my process when I leave the studio and I collect these things. So if there's any way to like represent that in the art or in the book, like I, it's the randomness is very pur- purposeful, I would say. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's exciting in the work. You know, it's kind of, it's like when you combine two, like, say, music again, like if you combine two eras of something in samples, it becomes exciting when you see them next to each other in an unexpected way that you're not, you know, you wouldn't expect. So I would imagine that that kind of invigorates the, the way that you're making images. I think so, too. I mean, I can only <laughs> speak for myself, but, like, I want, when people see the work, so I'm in the bookstore and I'm just grabbing books. At this point, I can tell by a spine of a book. Yeah. Like, if it's going to be color or black or white or if the pages are going to be too glossy that I'm not going to want to use it. I've Just through repetition of looking, I know that that's going to happen. So, again, any way that that can be represented in the work, I feel like that's what speaks to me in the moment, if I can translate that in any way into the finished piece, then it's a successful piece in my book, you know. When I, because it is kind of random, just by grabbing books by the spine and kind of flipping through them, 
I don't know what I'm going to kind of find and I'll be flipping and I'll find an image and I'll stop on the image and I'll sometimes have to look back at the cover to be like, what is even this book I'm looking at? You know, because I'm kind of in autopilot and collector mode. So I also hope that when someone sees a finished piece, they're kind of like, or looking through the book, they're kind of flipping through the same way and they'll stop and I don't put the information in my work or in the book of what it is, but it's there. Like these pieces are kind of just, I think of them as just truth. Like the images are truth. It's our real history, despite the narrative in the book. Right. So I think there's an element of when you're looking at the work, like I hope that people are inquisitive about what this is. Like where is it from? If, if someone thinks about that for just a moment, I feel like that I did, that's again a successful piece of work. You know? Yeah so easy in this world to just see art and even if you like it to just walk right by it yeah. you know so the things that stop me in my tracks i hope are the same things that engage viewers when they see what i'm doing yeah well i think the book i mean that's a good way to it's a good primer for people to, yeah <laughs> to approach the work and again like we were brainstorming ideas for the book and i think i threw out a bunch of terrible ideas mm-hmm. and uh they came to me with primer and it was like yeah that's perfect i mean uh, they, Nice. To reference, again, we wanted to tie everything back to the original source right. material, which is, which is these found books and kind of these lost histories. Um, if, if I, there's a certain part of me that the more I've done this, that I have really have come to the point where I do feel like I'm preserving things. Yeah. I used to feel like I was destroying things to make something new, but I, these books aren't going, and they're never going to be used again, and they might never be seen again. Like, and that's what has fueled me of just being like, try to find more books, try to find more of them. When I find a book I like, then I look on Amazon and like, I'll find a school selling 20 of them. I'm like, give me all of them. And I've had people give them to me for free once I actually explain like what I'm doing. And it's kind of been like a really beautiful thing when I kind of came to the realization that I'm actually preserving something. And like saving something and that, repurposing it in a and, way and repurposing in a creative it. Yep. expression, which is yep. pretty cool. All right. Well, I don't want to assume that um, <laughs> everyone might have questions, but should we open it up? And if you know, I don't know if any of you guys might want to ask any questions that I might have missed. <laughs> if not, we could. You're going to sign some books, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Do you want to say it again? Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's just it. What, uh, if you, do you keep books when you're done with, when you're done with work? Yeah, so what do you do with the books once you're finished with them? Again, I've had like a lot of like grand ideas of what to do with them. but or responsibility. But the idea of just being a person that can't keep everything. And again, like leaving New York, I put everything I owned into a car, including my cat, and drove out there. I couldn't bring I couldn't bring 500 old textbooks that were already shredded to pieces. So it's a thing where at a certain point I try to keep one of everything as a reference material for myself or someone more interested in the work. But uh, I just recently did this again where I've lived in LA for two years and was like, my house is full of old cut up books. So I spent a month going through them, cutting everything out putting it in a filing cabinet, writing down the name of the book, 
and trying to not be a complete catastrophe with like <laughs> that. So as much as I wish I had every original book binding of every source material I've ever had, like sometimes you just need a fresh start and you could get a little house out in the <laughs> desert maybe. It's cheap and yeah. fill it up. Dig a hole. <laughs> cool. Does anyone else have any any other questions? Yeah, I thought, uh, again, like, I was like, I'm going to, this is going to finish this, and I'm going to do something radically different, but that's just not who I am. Like, I think this book is a good example of, like, how my work subtly changes. Like, and that's how I, that's how I work. I evolve slowly. I shift patterns, colors, source material for the next body of work. But uh, it has been, like, trying to get rid of a little bit of a safety net which is kind of the ultra gridded ultra geometric work and uh i have a show up as the Geisberg gallery in chelsea right now that kind of hints at where i'm trying to go and it's a lot more organic uh shapes a lot a lot less starting with the grid a lot uh a lot more again like trusting myself with the shapes um it's kind of hard to say but with words but that's kind of where I see myself going like I'm again trusting myself trusting my hand a little bit more to just kind of um, I'm doing a lot of things where I'm looking at like textiles and then drawing them freehand like quickly and then being getting something new again like taking something running it through my filter and having my hand again like make mistakes and distort things and that's uh that's what primer two will be hopefully that'll be very organic and earthy. Yeah. Yeah. Strand's really a gold mine. I mean, what do you do now that you're, you know, on the left coast? Where's your go to spot? Or is it more of I come back to New York and oh, go you do? to Strand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the last couple of times I've been here I've had to carve out a little bit of time. There's a lot of great stuff, but I know that place like the back of my hand right, now. Yeah. And I even know like if you give them a little bit of time they have a whole new treasure trove to right. go dig through, you know, like it really is. It's, there's a lot of things I owe my like career to, but like in a lot of ways yeah. it was like being in New York city where I could go explore that place, you know, right. like, like I said, that is my art supply store. So yeah. Did you ever go to the, uh, the image library across from the public library? You know, it's, I haven't been there. No, it's, so not, my not time? to date my no, yeah. I don't know because uh, <laughs> when I first moved to the city after graduate school, there, the internet wasn't happening yet. Sure, really, and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I had to go there to find source images. Oh, okay, but it's like a card catalog yeah, yeah, yeah. system, you know, modern architecture or something, and you go and you find and there's Xerox copies. Yeah, and you go and copy them and take them with you. Yeah, I but mean, there was something nice about that process of because you would inevitably find things that you don't really do online. Like yeah. online, yeah, you can get stuff, but it takes you places, whereas if you're just browsing through images, there's something nice about just bumping into something. You know? And I think that's just the like, that's just because of like the era we grew up in, and right. like you know, like we're about the same age of just like going through like high school without the internet, and then all of a sudden this thing appears. You know, there's just to me at least, there's always going to be like nostalgia in the tangible. You know, right. like that I'll never get from. Like looking, I will never be inspired by finding a name in John Line the same way 
I will cracking open a dusty old book, you know. Yeah. And same thing with a record that like, will date us as humans. Yeah, but right. like I, you know, love a lot of ways. I think it's empowering and like it's kind of a special thing. Yeah, I mean, I used to love going and getting a record based on the cover art and having no idea what it was going to sound like. Yeah. But now Spotify will give you <laughs> four thousand eight hundred things that sound just like the thing yeah. you just listened to. So, yeah. but yeah, there's something nice about finding it. You know. Yeah, exploring. Yeah. Yeah, and just stumbling upon something that excites you, like for whatever reason. And yeah. That's what I hope the book does, and I hope that people like it, and I hope that it. People who know my work, I think it'll be something interesting for them to like go through, and also as for someone who's never seen anything I did, it's a quick you run your finger through the book, like you're gonna see yeah. <laughs> a lot of work, you know, compiled into something really like perfectly put together. You right, know? sounds good. All right, well, why don't we let you sign a couple? Co- Will you sign me a copy? Of course, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. Many thanks to PS1 and MoMA for allowing us to do the conversation at the bookstore, Artbook. And uh, many thanks to Anthology Editions for facilitating the conversation. Um, If you want to see more images of our talk, check out soundandvisionpodcast.com, where I post pictures from the podcast, from behind the scenes, in artist studios and in the galleries and even at PS1. Uh, If you have a chance, please stop by iTunes and rate and review the podcast. It really helps. Many thanks to Michael Lovett from Nazca Lines for the intro music and the intro-outro music supplied by Lolitone from Nagoya, Japan. And as always, thank you for listening and thank you for supporting the podcast.